Ian has been so ably leading us through uh, the book of Hebrews, and he's taken us up to chapter 2, verse 9, and uh, we were following along even though we were in South Africa, so thanks to people like Alex for making that possible. We could just get onto YouTube, and uh, so we've been a part of what's been happening here through that technology, which has been great. And uh, just really blessed to, to listen to what Ian, how he was sharing about uh, the scriptures, how he was unpacking them and just expounding them to us. And so today, what we want to do, this is the sixth episode in the letter to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we want to pick up from where Ian left off last week. Um, we're going to be focusing in on verses 10 to 18 of chapter 2. But what I would like to do is I'd like to read today just from verse 5 through to verse 18 of chapter 2, simply because it just helps us to give the context. And when I was looking at just starting in verse 10, it was sort of like just starting in the middle of a whole train of thought. So let's start in verse 5 and read through to verse 18. I'm sure it will come up. There it is. It's there already. So this is what we read. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything subject, in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that what we were singing about today? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." A wonderful passage of scripture that we read today. And in this passage, we come across a great mystery. And it's this mystery that we want to talk about today. 
It's the mystery that Paul referred to in his writings as the mystery of Christ. Have you heard that phrase, the mystery of Christ? That's the mystery that's being unfolded for us in this passage today. And what is this mystery? Well, it's that the one who the writer refers to in chapter 1 of this letter, he refers to him as Yahweh and Elohim, the Son of God, the one who laid the foundations of the earth, whose handiwork the heavens are, became a man. That's what this mystery is. The mystery that the Son of God became the Son of Man and entered into the world that He had created. A world that He had never been a part of before because as its creator, He was outside His creation. He now enters into His creation and becomes a part of His creation. We could say in a sense. He became lower than the angels he had created. Can you imagine that? He creates all the angels and then makes himself lower than the angels he created. And he partook in our humanity. And he did so so completely that he experienced every physical limitation that we experience. He had to sleep. If he wanted to go somewhere, he had to walk. We're talking here about the creator, the one through whom God created everything. And yet if he wanted to go somewhere, he had to walk. He had to get his feet dirty. He had to eat. He had to drink the things that he had created. He had to even go to the toilet. Sometimes we don't what do you want to say that in church, but that's the truth. He got dirty. He got sweaty. He had to bath. He was limited to being in one place at one time. Do we get a picture of just how far he lowered himself? The one who is omnipresent limited himself to a human body. Is that, I think it just goes beyond our minds to even understand and comprehend this. And he went through every life experience that is common to us. He was born the way we are born. He had a childhood just like we have a childhood. He had to grow in wisdom just like we've had to grow in wisdom. He had to learn. He had to be educated. He suffered pain. He suffered hunger, thirst, exhaustion, temptation. Isn't that an amazing thing? The Bible says that God cannot be tempted. And yet we, here we see Jesus, who is in very essence God, coming into this world and being tempted. Do you see how much he identified himself with us? He didn't just become partially man. He became fully man. And then he suffered death. He even went through death. And the pain and the agony of death. He went through all the emotional experiences that we go through. He was betrayed by one of his closest companions. He was hated. He was loved. He was slandered. He was praised. And from what we can see in Scripture, there was a time when he was bereaved. From what we can make out in Scripture, it looks like his father, Joseph, died 
at some point during Jesus' childhood or before certainly his ministry began. And so the Lord Jesus subjected himself to every experience that is common to humankind. And he did so, so completely, that as we see here in this passage, he calls us his brothers. That's how much he has identified himself with us. He became one of us. Mind-boggling to me. We see from this passage that he even related to the Father, to the Father God, as a man, even though he himself was God. He addressed the Father as God, just as we do. He made himself dependent on the Father, just as we are. And he said, I will put my trust in him. He sang praises with men to God in the synagogues. Can you see Jesus standing shoulder to shoulder with people and praising the Father? That's what he did. And yet for all eternity prior, he had been the object of worship with the Father. And yet here he is standing beside us, shoulder to shoulder, praising God with us. He subjected himself completely to God the Father, to obey every one of His commands, to do His will. He only said what He heard His Father say. He only did what He saw the Father do. He completely submitted Himself to doing the will of His Father. And He operated as a man, anointed by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do all that the Father had sent him to do. Do you remember that story when he sat, or stood in, in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. He, he stood before the people as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed by God, to do what the Father had sent him from heaven to do. And yet, and this is where the great mystery comes, in spite of all of this, he never, for one moment, ceased to be who he was before he became a man. He never ceased to be the Son of God. He never ceased to be the Creator of all things. He never ceased to be Yahweh, Elohim. He remained who he was, even though he became exactly what we are, a man. He never for one moment ceased to realize who he was. This is why God commanded the angels to worship him when he was born. We saw that in chapter 1 and we can see it in the gospel accounts. The angels worshipped him when he was born. They were worshipping someone who had just been born just like we are born. And they were singing and filling the heavens with their songs about what had taken place in Bethlehem. This is why God led the wise men to Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, what did they do? It says they worshipped Him. Here are these powerful men worshipping this little helpless baby. 
Because even though he was a baby, he never ceased for one moment to be who he had always been. What a mystery this is. During his life and ministry, oftentimes men would bow down at his feet and they would worship him and they would seek his mercy. He never once told them to not do that, to stand on their feet. He never said what the angel said to John in the book of Revelation. If you, if you know that story when uh, John fell down at the feet of an angel because he was so overcome by the, what he was seeing and just what was taking place. That he fell at the feet of the angel to worship the angel that was showing him these things. And what did the angel say? The angel said, do not do that. I am just a servant of God, a servant of, of the brothers, those that inherit salvation. Jesus never did that. When people worshipped him, he received that worship. Do you know that if he had ceased to be God, that would have been idolatry? But because he was who he had always been, it was not idolatry. It was the worship of the one who still, even though he became a man, was Yahweh, the God of Israel. He was fully aware of his eternal existence with God even before he became a man. Can we understand that? He became this little baby. He was suckled at Mary's breasts. And yet, he was aware of who he was. He said, I'm from above. You are from beneath. He said that he had seen the Father. That he knew the Father personally. That he had been glorified with the Father before the foundation of the world. And that he was going back to where he had come from. And so we see from his words that he was fully aware of who he was. He said at one time, before Abraham was born, I am. And he claimed the very title that God had given himself at the burning bush when he appeared to Moses. Jesus took that title and appropriated it for himself. And do you know what the Jews wanted to do? They knew what he was saying. They understood his language. They picked up stones. They wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus knew throughout his time on this earth who he was. He said that he was one with the Father. That he was one with him in nature, in thought, in will, in purpose, in word, in deed. There was never a schism between him and the Father. What the Father thought, the Lord Jesus thought. What the Father said, the Lord Jesus said. What the Father did, the Lord Jesus did. There was never any division, never any disagreement. There was absolute perfect unity between him and his father, even though he had become a man. And he was the exact representation of the father. I don't know about you, but I love to just read the Gospels. I've spent hours and hours just meditating on the stories that we read in the Gospel accounts. And just being overcome by the wonder and the awe of who Jesus is. Just seeing him acting, seeing him healing the sick, seeing him just casting out demons with a word, just touching a leper and making him whole. Just a word and the dead rise coming out of their tombs after four days of being in that tomb decomposing. And I just, I get overcome by just the, the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. And I've often prayed and I've often said, Lord, 
can I know you like the apostles knew you? Those that walked with you and talked with you? Can I know you like that? Can, can the wonder of who you are so fill me that I'm, I'm as filled with the wonder of who you are as they were? I mean, can you imagine being one of those apostles? Can you imagine walking with Jesus, living with him for three days? Sorry, three years. Can you imagine what it was like to see him rise after three days and just appear in your midst? To them, Christianity was no myth. It was no just a story that we talk about on, sun on Sundays. Christianity was the absolute truth. The faith that we have to them was alive. It meant everything to them. And that's why they were prepared to go across sea and land to hostile environments, to barbarians, to people that didn't welcome strangers and take this gospel to them. It's why they were willing to die for the name of Jesus Christ. It was because the wonder of what we're talking about today was so real to them. It wasn't just a myth. It wasn't just fiction. It wasn't just a nice story to entertain us. It was reality. And that's what I pray today it would be for every single one of us. That the fact that Jesus came into this world and has lived in this world and all that the gospel presents to us would be more real to us than even our very own name. I've often prayed that. I've often said, Lord, can, can the, the realities of the gospel be as real to me as the things that I touch and see around me? I don't want it just to be something that is just sort of this secondhand knowledge. And that's how I believe God wants it to be for every single one of us. I don't know if you want to join me in praying that for yourself. So even though Jesus became a man, fully, fully man, completely holy man. There's one thing, one thing, that he never became united with us in. Can you think of what it is? Sin. He became completely man, and yet he never once sinned. He is the epitome of perfection, of blamelessness, of holiness. When we see Him, we see what holiness is. We see what doing God's will is like. We see actually what God wants us to be like. Do you know that every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are declaring this truth? What are we saying? When we take the, the wine, we're talking about the blood of Jesus. When we take the bread, we're talking about the body of Jesus. And what are we seeing? We're seeing Jesus became, and what are we saying? Jesus became flesh and blood. Every time we do that, we are declaring the very truths that we're talking about today. So now let's ask a question. Why did he do this? Why did he humble himself like this? Why did the one... Through whom the world was created, the one who was co-equal with God, who shared in the glory of God, willingly become a man. Why did he do it? I want to give you five reasons that are found in this passage. Number one, so he could reveal God 
to us. He took on our humanity and he said, I will tell my brothers your name. He came in the flesh to reveal God to us. You know, so many people today, they want to have a vision. They want to have a dream. They want to go to heaven in order to see and know God. But you know that we have the greatest and fullest revelation of God that anyone could ever have. And God chose to reveal himself to us, not in a vision, not in a dream, not by taking us to heaven, but he chose to reveal him to, himself to us by sending his son in the likeness of human flesh. That's how he chose to do it. And when we look at Jesus, we see God in his fullness. Look at John 1.18. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, that's referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Number two. He came so that He could set an example for us to follow. We've alluded to this already. An example of what our lives should be in terms of the way we trust God. In terms of faithfulness. In terms of submission and obedience to God. Endurance in the face of opposition. And endurance in the face of temptation. Jesus came and gave us an example that we can follow. And we'll see as we go through the, the remainder of the, the book of Hebrews that the writer to Hebrews is constantly referring us back to the example of Jesus Christ. Number three, he came so that he could suffer with us and for us. So that he could be tempted just as we are. And so that he could taste death for us. We'll talk a bit more about this. Number four, he came so that he might be the perfect savior and bring many of us to glory. Many people to glory. Look at verse 10. I want to just focus in on this verse a little bit. It says, For it was fitting, notice that word fitting, that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word fitting. Speaks of it being proper. Speaks of it being necessary. It wasn't necessary in man's eyes, but it was in God's eyes. It was the opposite of what men would want. But he had to become a man in order to bring us to glory. It's the word here, founder, the founder of their salvation. What does that refer to? It refers to Jesus being the pioneer the one who would bring our salvation forth and establish it. And then the third word that we need to see here is the word perfect. Now, I want to ask a question. It's up there on the, board, on, the, on the screen. It says that it was fitting that he, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. What does that mean? Did Jesus have to be made perfect? Was he not already perfect? Did he have some flaw in him? What is that referring to? You know what it's referring to? 
In order for him to be the perfect savior, he had to suffer. He could not save us without suffering. That word suffering speaks of completeness. For Jesus to be the complete savior of mankind, he had to become a man and he had to suffer. Verse 17 says this, he had to be made like us in every respect. Do you remember the garden of Gethsemane? What did Jesus pray in the garden? As he was facing the crucifixion, what did he pray? He said, Father, if there is any other way that this can be done, may it be done that way. But not what I will, but what you will. Do you know there was no other way that we could be saved except for Jesus becoming a man and suffering for us? He had to do this in order to turn God's wrath away from us. In order so that we could be made holy and be saved. In order so that he could destroy the devil. Do you know that Jesus died to destroy the devil? And set us free. Free from what? Our fear of death. And the slavery that that brought us into. How many of you are afraid of dying? You know what? We may be afraid of the process of dying. The unknown elements of it. We might be afraid of maybe the suffering that we might have to go through as we pass from this life to the other. But do you know that as believers in Jesus Christ... There is absolutely no reason for any of us to be afraid of death. Do you know why? Death has lost its sting. Death is like that scorpion. Seen a scorpion with that tail up? That's something to be afraid of. But if a scorpion came wandering into your house and someone had taken a pair of pliers and broken that tail off, there'd be no need to be afraid of that scorpion. It's lost its sting. And that's what Jesus, through his death, has done to death. He has broken off the sting of death. He has rendered it unable to harm us. Death has lost its sting. And so we can face death when that time comes with absolute peace, just like you were talking about, Ian. You can face death with the confidence and assurance that death is just a graduation. That's all it is. A graduation into the presence of God, into the glory of God. Death has lost its sting because Jesus became a man and because he died for our sins on the cross. Jesus had to become a man so that he could help us. He had to suffer so that he could help us. And this is such a wonderful truth today. That we have a faithful and merciful high priest seated at the right hand of God. Lastly, the fifth point. It was so we might become like him. Do you know that Jesus had to become like us in order for us to become like him? He had to become a part of the human family so we could become a part of God's family. John chapter 1 verse 10 to 13. Let me just read it to you. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What are the ramifications of all this? What are the implications of these truths in our lives? What do we gain from this passage today? Number one, we discover who Jesus really is. Do you know how blessed we are to know who he is? Do you know that we live in a world that does not know who Jesus is? We live in a world that may see him in many different ways. Some see him as a myth. Some see him as just a good teacher, a great religious leader. Some see him as a false prophet. But no matter how people see him, the blessed are those who see him for who he really is. And I tell you, we can be so thankful today that God has opened our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. Remember what he said to, to, to Peter? He said, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said to him, blessed are you, Peter. You are blessed because this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father who is in heaven. Do you know the fact that you're seated here today with this knowledge of who Jesus is? This growing revelation and understanding of who he is, is nothing but the work of the Father in our lives. He's the one who has opened our eyes. He's the one who has given us his spirit and enabled us to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Also, we discover the love that Jesus has for us. I tell you, Paul prayed a prayer for the Ephesians. He said this. He asked that we might be strengthened with power so that we might know the height and the width and the depth and the length of the love of Christ and be filled with the knowledge of this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you know the love of Jesus Christ surpasses knowledge? Men cannot know it by intellect. It has to be revealed to us by the Spirit of God. The love of Jesus to leave his heavenly estate and to come down, humble himself as much as he's done, and even die on a cross for our sins. How can we even describe or measure that kind of love? It's immeasurable. And it's through this incredible truth of his incarnation that we gain an understanding, a glimpse into this love that Jesus Christ has for us. I pray that that will thrill your heart as much as it does mine. We also discover what salvation is all about through this passage. As we read it, we see what it's all about. Making us holy. Providing propitiation for our sins. Turning God's wrath away from us. Destroying the power of the devil and the hold of the devil over our lives. Setting us free from the slavery that's come through the fear of death. Helping us when we are tempted and ultimately bringing us to glory that's what salvation is all about we discover in this passage that god uses suffering and i want to just end with this today we discover that god uses suffering suffering is part and parcel of god's plan for our salvation do you know that and this is the great point, one of the great points that the writer is actually making in this entire book of Hebrews. 
God has this incredible ability to bring triumph out of tragedy. To bring joy out of pain. Wholeness out of brokenness. Victory out of what seems to be defeat. And life out of death. And when we look at the story of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what God has done. The greatest tragedy in all of history was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And yet God used that tragedy to bring many sons to glory. To save us. To change us. To redeem us. God is able to take the terrible situations in our lives and work them for our good. And this is what we gain. This is a knowledge that we gain in this incredible passage of Scripture today. And because of it, we can find comfort and encouragement in the knowledge that we have a Creator who is fully identified with us in our humanity. Jesus knows what it is to be a man. He knows what it's like to live in this fallen world. He knows what it's like to have to wrestle with the devil. He knows what it's like to suffer. He himself suffered. That's what it says in verse 18. And I pray today that those words, those, those three little words would ring in our hearts and our ears. He himself suffered. He knows what it is to suffer as a man. And so we can take heart. No matter what our circumstances. No matter what life may throw at us. No matter what we may go through. We can take heart. Heart in what? In the fact that at the right hand of God today is a man. A man. There is a man there. A man who was resurrected from the dead. And he's been seated at God's right hand. And he has all authority in heaven and earth. He has the name that's above every name. And he is representing you and me in the presence of God. And he's merciful. And he's faithful. And he's for us. He's not against us. He is standing and seated there with us. Isn't that amazing? He's interceding for us. And when he does it, he's not interceding as God. He's interceding as the God who became fully man. He's interceding as one of us. He's seated at the right hand of God and he's praying for you and me. He's praying for us, his brothers. He calls us brothers. And in his palm of his hand are the nail holes. And in his feet are the nail holes. And in his side is the hole from that spear. And he holds them before the Father. When the devil wants to accuse us, Jesus holds his hands before the Father. And he says, Father, I suffered for them. I paid the price for them. He's our advocate in the presence of God. And do you know what that means? It means ultimately... We win. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Oh, Father, today we are just so overjoyed and just so thankful to you for this incredible truth that we have been looking at 
this incredible truth that you have revealed to us through the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And we are just moved with the wonder and the awe of your grace, of your love that you have shown to us. We are moved with the, the mystery of Christ. That the one who created us became one of us. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful today for your death for our sins. We're so thankful today that you subjected yourself to this humiliation. The humiliation that you went through and you did it all for us. Father, I pray for every one of us here today. Lord, take these truths, this incredible truth, and what it means to us. Take it, Lord, and write it on the tablets of our hearts. Write it and put it in our minds, that it may never be lost from our consciousness, but that we might constantly be conscious of it, constantly, Lord, that it might upgird us and uphold us. Lord, the fact that you are our high priest, that you represent us, at the right hand of God. Lord, may that truth just be such a, a reality to us. So I pray for every person here today, Father, that what I've shared today would not just be words coming from the mouth of some man, that would not just be sound like some Greek myth, but Lord, that the, the reality of what these words mean to us would just strike our hearts. Father, we are just so grateful to be your people. To be amongst the blessed whom you have revealed yourself to us through your Son and revealed your Son to us. I pray for everyone today, Lord. May you bless us with peace through this, these truths. May you bless us with joy through these truths. And may you give us, Father, the willingness and ability, and opportunity to share these truths with other people as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.